some of you know who I am. Uh, we've, I pastored Calvary Chapel of Henderson for about 15 years. Uh, about three years ago, uh, God changed our direction uh, without asking me. Uh, I don't know if you've experienced major life changes without being asked. It's rather inconvenient. And, uh, but these things come and you learn that, or at least I have learned. I hope you don't have to learn it the way I did, but I hope that you uh, would learn from it as I have that uh, change is inevitable. Just when you get into your groove, you can bet God's going to jerk your chain and move you somewhere or do something you weren't anticipating. So please don't get comfortable. Right? It's not, I don't think it's really intended that way. So a radical change for my wife and I, we didn't see it coming at all. I figured once I got into the pulpit, I would one day just fall over and everybody would go, praise God, he's finally dead. And that would be the end of it. And, uh, but no, that isn't the case. And so my wife and I, I was in the ministry for 15 years. My wife and I uh, have left the ministry now and are in a new ministry, not a church, but a new ministry in Manhattan, Nevada. Yeah, yeah, that's what most people say when I mention Manhattan, Nevada. If you were to throw a dart at the middle of the state of Nevada, you'd probably hit my house. It's one of the few out there. And uh, out there in the middle of nowhere is a large gold mine where God has decided to place me as an electrician and also put us above set... 7,000 feet because of my wife's health. We've found over the years that that has made a big difference in her MS. So God took us out of Henderson, took us to Round Mountain, and put me back in the workforce. Now, many of you have not left the workforce to go into ministry. See, in ministry, all you see every day is what? Christians. Mostly Christians with problems, but Christians nonetheless. Right? So you, I spent my time ministering to God's people, loved it, never thought it would end. But then he plucks me out of that and puts me back in the workforce. Now, 15 years was quite a gap. I, can't, I still can't believe what changed from the time I left the workforce until the time I rejoined it. It didn't look anything the same. And so... Uh, I, uh, I want to talk to you about work today. Isn't that exciting? I mean, you've got one more day and then you get to go back to work. Isn't this awesome? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of thought that's what you'd say. Laugh nervously. <laughs> What's wrong with this guy? Did Tim really ask him to speak? Yeah, he had no idea, so it's okay. All right, so... But it has given me this going back to work, and this has kind of been on my heart for a, a year or more now, this going back to work and seeing and doing, because for years I told people how to act at work, right? Oh, well, the pastor said, you have to do this when you, I got to be this kind of a person. And then, of course, I went home. But now I go to work and come home just like you do, and I think I have something of a fresh perspective on people at work and witnessing at work and being a witness at work. And, you know, while Tim is in the mission field in Ethiopia with a team, and, you know, we classically think of that as missions work, right? 
We, well, you got to go out somewhere. Well, you're going out tomorrow. You're going into the mission field that you go into every day where there are hundreds, depending on where you work, maybe thousands of non-believers. And you have been selected to go to that place to be a witness to them. That changes the perspective, maybe, I hope for you, a little bit about what it is, what it means to go to work. Now, at my place of work, I work for a company called Round Mountain Gold Corporation. It's a large gold mine in the middle of the state. There's about 800 employees there, so it's a big corporation. You know, it's run out of Toronto, Canada. We're part of the Kinross Group. So it's a big company. And... So when I go to work, I go into the electric shop because I'm an electrician, and then from out from there, I go all over the mine site. And recently, this company uh, has been trying to save money. Surprise, right? Company's trying to save money. And they came up with this program called SWIM. SWIM, a nice acronym. You know, everybody's into acronyms. I'm actually going to use one this morning, uh, but... Uh, they came up with this, and it, it means this. S was to be share the win. You know, as a company, we want to share the win. What does that mean? Well, this is how they explain it. I empower others to help get it done. So they want you to be, be humble enough to let others into your sphere so that the company can move forward. I just call that humility. They made it complicated. I'm going to make it easier for you this morning. The second one in SWIM is a W, and it means work together. And it says this, I challenge myself to foster effective relationships by listening, considering, supporting, and accepting. Aren't those wonderful words? Corporation wants you to be nice to others. Imagine these radical concepts this corporation has come up with. Thirdly, It's possible, the I, it's possible, I strive for effective, safe production today and for our future, right? So they they want me to be uh, diligent as an employee. And they're codifying this now because, well, most employees don't have any of this kind of view, honestly, about how they should treat their employer or their company. And finally, this last one is M, swim, uh, I pledge to operate the company with financial common sense. Now, at a gold mine, that's a little hard to do, right? We always joke often that uh, I work for a gold mine. Sounds real good, right? I just don't own the gold mine. That's the difference. But they're looking for stewardship. They want you to be a good steward with the things of the company. And so I gave up on this whole idea of swim after about a week. I couldn't remember it. But I needed to hang my hat on something that I thought was more important for me as an employee. So I'm the, I'm the employee that goes to work every day just like you do. And I needed to hear that I needed to be humble at work. I needed to be concerned about others. I needed to be diligent and I needed to exercise good stewardship. Why would I do this at work? Because I'm on the mission field. And, you know, so often Christians are about witnessing with their mouth, not with their actions. And that creates a dichotomy at which then people are like, well, you know, they say that they're this, but look, they do that. And then you become fodder for gossip, right? Everybody's talking behind your back and you're not really producing any good. So we, we, while we, my intention really isn't to talk about work because I know you don't really want to hear it, but I mean to, to help you this morning take church to work 
So in order to do that, I have to bring work to church for a day. And so let's talk about it a little bit. But first, let's look at what the Scripture says about being a Christian worker. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. This is one of those verses you know, but don't want to know. Right? You wish you hadn't read it, but now that you've read it, or if you haven't heard it today, you will have heard it, so now you'll be accountable to actually do something about it. Ephesians 6, verse 5. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. As we're in Ephesians 6, 5 here, if you haven't got there yet, verse 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Then he goes on to talk to bosses. And I know we wish that our bosses would read the next passage, but God's got to deal with that. I can't do that today. We're only talking about us. There is no slavery, obviously. He's talking about servants here in the in the New Testament time, they were bond servants. They were people who either willingly or by force were slaves, and they were given these words. Now, to slaves, they were supposed to conduct themselves as Christians in a certain way, certainly unless you consider your boss a slave driver, which is entirely possible. You're to look at this as from a servant point of view. You've been hired. You're not the boss. You're a, say it with me together, servant. Okay? Sometimes that's the hardest thing to get to come out of your mouth. I am not the boss. I'm not the responsible. I'm not the big. No, I'm a servant. I'm here primarily to think of myself as a servant. And as you do that, I think what happens to you is uh, you're able to fulfill this concept of obedience I noticed today at work, especially among the younger guys, I'm 58 and there's some guys in the shop who are in their 30s and 40s, they struggle with the idea of being obedient to their master or to the boss. Doing, well, I'm not going to do what he says. I'm like, what? But you want the paycheck, right? Well, yeah. What? So there's this dichotomy that's at work, but we as Christians, first and foremost, understand servanthood because we serve a great God. But he says to be, this obedience is necessary, and he wants you to be sincere about it. This idea of being sincere means to be real or genuine, to genuinely view yourself as a servant as you work for him or her. And you're not to do it with eye service, right? Well, the boss is around, so now you look good. You're getting it all done, and as soon as the boss goes out the door, you're like, man, almost got caught again. What were you doing? Sleeping. This idea of eye service is important that, you know, are you going to be the employee you want people to think you are when the boss isn't there? It's really easy to fall into what the herd's doing, right? The boss walks out, and everybody else just slows down, and you kind of slow down with them. You're not going to fit if you do that, but we have a higher calling. Not, you're not just a man pleaser. And he reminds us here in the final part of that passage, he says, remember who your real boss is. 
And he's always looking. You know, God's always looking over your shoulder, right? He sees what we do. And so uh, remember, finally in that passage, this. You're not going to get shortchanged. Your boss may not appreciate what you're doing. Your co-workers may certainly not appreciate that you're working uh, diligently. But let me tell you this, the Lord sees it and uh, he knows that you're doing it and he will reward you. Look in Colossians, just flip over a couple of books to Colossians chapter 3. Paul says almost the same thing to the Colossians, and so we want it, we see it as a repetition. He thought enough of it to write it to the Ephesians and the Colossians. That means for me it's much more important than just a passing thing. In verse 22 of Colossians chapter 3, he says, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. That might be the key phrase in this verse as he writes it to the Colossians. Do it heartily as to the Lord. Your service at work to your employer is first and foremost a reflection of your relationship with God. Whatever you do, do it heartily, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Hey, your inheritance is what's coming, not the love, appreciation, or paycheck of your boss. That service that you render day in and day out, faithful service to your employer, God is going to see to your reward. That's, isn't that a, sort of a, a hard thought to connect with heaven? that our Lord is going to reward you for being a good employee. You ever made that connection before? He sees what you're doing, and he's got got, uh, something for you. You'll reap what you sow, it's written. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, a couple of more books over here. Back the other way, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And now it gets a little gravelly here, so bear with me. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11. He says to these believers in the context of brotherly love, he says in verse 11, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. Hallelujah. To mind your own business. I've mentioned that a few times at work to others, probably in an almost positive way. Mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may walk properly here toward those who are outside. Now he brings another layer to this, that your walk at work is in at least one sense to be seen as the proper way to walk to those who are not saved? Are you the example at work to those who are not saved of how it is to properly walk? There's all kinds of ideas how to live this life these days. It's overwhelming the number of choices now. Are you the example, the biblical example, that they need to see? This idea of a quiet life is a less frantic sort of a, you know, chasing around crazily, And 
than working with your own hands, not relying on other people. To work with your own hands as we commanded you and to walk properly toward those who are outside that you may lack nothing. In other words, this idea of employment has with, connected with it the concept that you're going to provide for yourself. You're not relying on somebody else. In fact, if you, if you get the fullness of this, you're a provider so that you can provide for others. Paul uses this structure of argument in a couple of other places. He says, don't be a liar, but rather be a truth teller. Switch positions. Don't just say, well, I'm not a liar anymore. But you're not a, if you're not a truth teller, then you're just a liar between lies, right? Or a thief. I'm not going to be a thief anymore. And this might be even more cogent to what we're talking about. He says, I'm not going to be a thief, but rather I'm going to be uh, somebody who works hard and provides for others. That's how you know a thief isn't a thief anymore, when he goes to work and starts providing for others. So Paul here saying the same kind of thing, that you would lack nothing. So like I said, a little gravelly here. Some people might be feeling a little conviction, but that's always good. Last scripture, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Writing again to the Thessalonians, it says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Woo! That's not popular today. Go ahead and say that in the public square, among other things, right? Verse 11, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those... Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread, stop leeching off of other people, and don't grow weary in doing good, he says in the next verse. Strong words from Paul there to a group of people that needed to be examples in their world and in their workplace. Not to be a burden on others, but to work diligently and to be a provider, as he said before. Now, taking the totality of those scriptures and trying to, with this idea of humility, others' diligence, and stewardship, how then do you go about doing this in the real world? And that's where I kind of count myself something of an expert today, right? Because I had to take these and I had to go back to work into a workplace that was much different than 20 years ago when I exited and I have told, those of you who are from Calvary Chapel or Henderson, that you'll say, oh yeah, I've heard that before from him. So this is a, a consistent message over many years. Work is, in my estimation, a mission field in which you are sent to, if you have a job, you are a missionary and you are being sent out. You say, Larry, that's kind of a stretch. I mean, I sort of see it, but I think of Adam in the garden. Right In Genesis chapter 2, around verse 15, he put Adam in the garden to do what? <clears throat> to tend it, to keep it. Adam went to work. Ever wonder why, guys, you sort of feel like, man, if I was sitting around the house, I'd just get fat watching TV all the time. I got to get up and go do something. Right? I have got to get myself up and go do something. You just ask my wife, I can't sit still for five minutes. I was wired to work at something. And so out we go then. We see that we're called, we're made to work, and out into the work world we go 
to example, I believe, to example what you learn here today. That's your primary course as you go out into the work world, A, to be a good employee, but B, to be the kind of employee that even if you don't open your mouth, and I'm going to exclude that whole idea this morning. You're supposed to be a witness. You're supposed to tell people about Jesus. Tim's beat that into you through his discipleship series week after week after week. You get that. All right, so we can just rest that point for the moment. You say, man, he's kind of talking about Pastor Tim that way. Look, I was a pastor and I know he's beating it into you. He better be, right? But think of it uh, in this other uh, view for a moment that I'm concerned about your actions, not your words. And I'm more concerned that your actions aren't lining up with your words, which just unlaces your witness. You just can't witness effectively if you're not following it up with your own uh, action of belief, if I can say that. So let's go back to the HODS uh, acronym here. And HODS doesn't mean anything at all. I couldn't even be cool about coming up with some like swim. So they outdid me there. But I can remember HODS, okay? And I think most people, it's so weird that you might just go tomorrow, go, oh yeah, that guy said HODS. It'll just connect for you. So let's talk first about humility, Living this value at work. Humility is supposed to be a key Christian trait, right? When you first get saved, one of the things... I mean, I, I developed a real... I really like crow. I learned how to eat crow from my earliest Christian days, right? About being humble, biting on my tongue. My tongue is calloused now from biting on it learning not to share my own enlightened opinion, uh, to tell other people what I think is best, and these kinds of things. You, you learn, or hopefully you have learned, uh, some might be behind on this key Christian trait, but you know, think about this in terms of work. You're not the top of the heap. And I, I look around me in the shop, and I look at myself, and I think, you know, there's, I'm thinking of one guy in particular. This guy thinks he's God's gift to electricity. He just does. He, there isn't anything that he doesn't think he knows, but he doesn't know. And I think in humility, we learn, as, especially as I get older in the Lord, I keep learning how much I don't know. Do you realize how much we don't know? And, and so you... you you, you sort of progress along that line, I hope, and you, you realize, wow, I don't know everything. I'm not the top of the heap. I'm not, I don't even deserve respect. I, oh, I just stepped on somebody's big hairy toe right there. <laughs> well, of course we deserve respect. Not really. You're servant. Servants were never respected. But you can gain respect through a good servant's heart. Valued servants were seen, humble servants were seen as valued. Not a guy or gal who boasts in their achievements. You know, every once in a while, I like to tell the guys in the shop, even a blind squirrel finds a nut, right? Every once in a while, I get it really right. And I look like the hero for an hour, right? So many of us go around boasting about how smart we are because we got it right once. Really? Thank you, Lord, that I got it right once. Thank you, Lord, that I got it right once. Humility. And I want to tie that 
into another idea. This kind of humble attitude makes you able to be obedient to your boss. Look, I find myself at 58 years old working for bosses younger than me, with less experience than me, who sometimes you kind of want to slap the stupid out of them. (laughs) But you can't. You see... I remember this story in the Bible. A man said to Jesus, he said, look, I know what it is to be in authority and I know what it is to be under authority. Do you know that? Are you properly under authority? Do you see yourself as that boss? He's in authority over you. And as a Christian, we recognize right away that if he's in authority, I'm in a submissive role and I need to fulfill that role. Humility makes that happen. And I would add one more thing to that. Grace grace. One of the most, if not the most important doctrine in the Bible, grace. Being able to look at a situation where people talk about you or say things about you or your boss talks behind your back or a thousand other examples that you could come up with here this morning, grace. What a mess we are, right? I mean, the only difference between us in this room and those people out there is we know we're a mess, They think they're all good. But we know we're a mess. And the only reason that you and I are saved this morning, like we sung in the song, is by grace. By grace you are saved. By faith alone. Not by any work that you've done. In fact, any good work that you do now, the Father gets credit for. That's my uh, uh, sort of rundown of Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. So grace brings Uh, a a proper view of yourself which enables humility and allows you to be the kind of servant you need to be. Humility. Number one trait, I think. Second one, because I don't want to run on too long here, others. Others. Remember a few years back, a prominent guy in the Calvary movement, his name escapes me at the moment, came up with this bumper sticker and all it said on it was, others. You're supposed to put that on your car, and of course, that won't make you a better driver. But maybe with that bumper sticker on, you might think about others, right, instead of yourself on the road. You know, having now living uh, seven miles from the middle of nowhere, um, I have uh, two right turns and one stop sign in my 22-mile drive to work. Okay, so there's nobody out there. There's just nobody out there. So on the highway, it's a pretty quiet thing, but we were coming into Las Vegas yesterday and I was rudely awakened, <laughs> right? People drive like they're crazy here. And maybe because I don't see that many people driving, it looks even worse to me. But others, do you think of others more than you think of yourself? Now, fallen people don't, as a rule, and you know this as well as I do at work, Sometimes climbing the corporate ladder means your head gets stepped on as somebody passes you up, right? Clawing over the back of you to get where they want to be. The world is all about me first. Selfishness is the rule of the day now. Be what you want, think what you want, and so on and so forth. And it would be real easy for this discussion to devolve now into those people in the world. They're the worst. Oh, my gosh. How do we survive every day? God, I need your grace. You know, we go down the list of things, right? It's a waste of time. It's a complete waste of time worrying about them or worrying about what they're up to 
Let's not waste our time one minute more pointing an accusing finger at them. They do exactly what they are. Just like you and I did before we got saved. Do you remember the kind of person you were before you got saved? I do. I was completely about me. This whole life was supposed to revolve around me. My family was supposed to be for me. My wife was supposed to be for me. It was all about me. And at least this one passage, Paul's talking in the greater context about love, a love for others. And for me, going to work each day, what has been really helpful, maybe this will help you, is to see others from God's point of view. What does he think about that coworker? You know the one. What does God think about him? Well, you know the answer. God loves him, right? God wants to shed his grace on him or her. God wants to show them himself, guess through who? You. You. He wants, he wants to be seen through you. And so one of my strategies at work, and you can try this if you want. I think it worked really well in the situation I'm in. One of the strategies I had was to be an encourager. To just be an encourager. Not to be plastic. You know what I'm saying? To be this you know, sort of happy all the time. Christians are not happy all the time. Stop pretending, right? They know that. If you show up, they'll be like, man, they're weird. Don't they ever have a bad day? Of course we do, right? But the idea that you're an encourager, not a false encourager, I look for opportunities to lift my coworkers up, saved or unsaved. I look for opportunities. I, I was working with a kid who's an apprentice in the program, and for, a, for only being an apprentice for a year, this guy is really doing a great job. So I took the time to wait until he was in the boss's office to go in there and tell the boss in front of him what a great job he was doing. Concerned about others. I'm lifting other people up. Now, what happens, you might be thinking, well, Larry, that doesn't, your promotion chances aren't as good if you're lifting everybody up around you. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. That math doesn't work that way. The more you encourage the people around you, the more your boss thinks, what a great attitude that guy has. Maybe he should be the boss. And maybe a promotion comes from that, but it doesn't matter. You glorify the Lord in being an encourager at work, encouraging other people where you can. It reflects the love of God and the value of others. I like to be honest about myself and honest about them when it's needful. But if you think about others as more important than yourself and encourage others, you just see work relationships change. You just see being able to get along with people. How often do you like to admit you're wrong at work? Oh, boy. Admitting you're wrong, that's like, uh uh-uh. I'd rather cut off my arm than admit I'm wrong, right? As I've said about raising children for years, the more you repent to your children and tell them that you were wrong and that you need to change. If you do that at work, tell your your boss, oh, I made a mistake. I did this recently. I really made a bonehead mistake on a particular project. And uh, I could have covered it up. My devious, evil mind, I figured out a way. I could have covered it up. Nobody would ever know. And I would just be like, oh, well, I don't know. You know, boss, these things happen. After wrestling with it for 20 or 30 minutes, because that's how we are, 
I'm still that way. You're saying, well, Larry, you're 58. You've been a pastor. Gosh, aren't you past that yet? I can't wait till I die. (laughs) Then I'll be past it. My devious mind had it all figured out, and I struggled with it. The Holy Spirit was like... (laughs) Right? No. End of the day, I marched into my boss's office, and I just told him what had happened. He's like, oh, well, thanks for telling me. I appreciate that. You know, you always think the worst is going to happen, right, if you tell the truth. He was like, oh, yeah, okay, man, well, that happens. It's a good thing it was a cheap mistake, right? And he, he took care of it. I don't know, I ever know what happened, but he took care of it. Others, thinking about others, relationships, reflecting Christ. All right, let's move on. Diligence. Another of the things that Paul places great emphasis on in these patches, in these passages that we looked at, and we all know that person who avoids work like the plague, right? In every place you go, there's somebody that you're either carrying them or mopping up after them. It just sort of comes with work, right? It's the way uh, things are. And again, we could spend a lot of time complaining about the guy that adds weight to your job or the gal that adds weight to your job every day. But let me encourage you in a different manner in this idea of diligence. How about we agree to spend all that energy being diligent? Right? We see them not being diligent. That's fine. Pray for them. You know, even if it's an imprecatory prayer, pray for them, right? Because praying for them will actually change the way you view them. But let's spend our time being diligent ourselves and pray for those who are not. It's been said, uh, one writer said this, if more Christian employees today serve their employers with genuine concern as though they were serving God, quality and productivity would increase dramatically. It's probably true. Right? If just Christians did it, it would be true. It's diligence. Does your boss see you as diligent? Do your coworkers see you as diligent? Look, I don't try to be a star about it, but I don't waste time at work. I try to avoid wasting time. There'll be times when, you know, it's, a, it's just like working for the utility company. I think sometimes we're standing around with a shovel waiting to do something. Big corporation takes time to move mountains to get to a project. You're sort of waiting. But hey, when it's time to go to work, are you there? When it's time to get the project started, are you the one starting? Or are you kind of walking around with everybody else, milling with the herd, you know? Are you getting it? Are you being diligent? That's another trait that when people see this in you, they know you're different. And that's what we're seeking to, to gain here. Finally, stewardship is the last one in our an acronym, HODS. Stewardship. A steward is one who has been given managerial authority over the things of another. I look at my situation at work, and uh, as an electrician, I'm given authority over certain things. How quickly I work determines how quickly the, the plant is back up and running, or the mine has this facility or that facility operational. I think there's no greater story in the Bible about stewardship and what it can produce in Joseph, right? Joseph ends up running the kingdom in Egypt because he was a good steward. We're all in charge of something at work. Now, it may be the smallest thing. You may be in a position of being in charge. You may be in charge of a department. You may be in charge of materials. you're, You're certainly in charge of your time, 
right? And what you do each day. Are you a, a steward that reflects, you know, a godly outcome? We're called to be faithful stewards. I like this passage that Paul wrote. And being in the ministry, it was particularly poignant. He said, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, he says in verse 2, It is required in stewards that one be found faithful. So for me, as a pastor, I saw that, man, he's called me into the ministry. I need to be a faithful steward of the things of God. But I also convert this idea over to work. Are you faithfully discharging your duties? Not just discharging them, getting it done any way you can, just so it looks like it's done, but faithfully discharging your duties. Making sure that you're, you're careful, in this case with uh, hods and swim and all of that, are you careful with the company's money? Are you careful with the company's resources? Do you offer suggestions to your boss about how you might do things in a more effective way, not to try to get a raise, which may not necessarily be bad in and of itself, but to be a good steward? All right, so you got these four things, humility, others, diligence, and stewardship. This is the kind of Christian worker that each one of us needs to strive to be. Remember I said your work is a form of a mission field. And I also said that I wanted you to not talk about Christ, but to live Christ. We're going to zip it, right? And we're just going to live it out in these four things. And so I'm challenging you. This is for tomorrow morning. Now it's Monday. A lot of people go to work on Monday. My schedule doesn't work that way. But a lot of people are going to go out of here tomorrow and they're going to go to work tomorrow. And what about these actions in your life? Are they playing out? Are you even now thinking, oh, my toes hurt, Larry. You just stepped on something. Look, it's uncomfortable sometimes. We think about, you know, you go to the work world and it's the world and Man, there's people there. Work would be great if it wasn't for the people, right? But what are your actions going to be? These are the things you're in control of. You're in control of your attitudes and actions. And tomorrow morning, you could change your workplace. It's possible to change your workplace tomorrow morning. Following the word of God in these things means you are witnessing the truth of the Bible without ever saying anything. And for me, it has borne fruit. Conversations. Larry, why do you? Why aren't you? You know, they'll start, it, hey, look, it's a group of 16 men in a shop, right? So, and not all the mouths are sanctified or even saved. You know what they're talking about, right? I remember I was, we were sitting in, we have this meeting every morning and when I'm on the day shift and Inevitably, some sexual innuendo or topic is thrown out. It's just inevitable, right? There's men there, so it's inevitable. And I was marveling. I had kind of gotten lost in my own thoughts, and I was sitting there kind of like this, and I was thinking about how everything that we talk about in the safety meeting ends up being sexual in some way. And I was just mystified by it, you know, and I'm processing it through in my own mind. Well, I'm not listening. And my boss, is, he sees this. <clears throat> so he puts me on the spot right away. He goes, well, Larry, what do you think about? And I'm like, think about what? What? And he goes, 
where were you? And in front of the whole group, I said, you know, I'm amazed, boss, by how it is that every subject we talk about ends up being sexual in some way. I got to say that in front of the whole group. And everybody busted up laughing. Well, that wasn't what I had hoped, but <laughs> all of a sudden it, it was less the next day. Right? It was, it was a chance to sanctify the workplace by just pointing something out. I've, and it, look, I, here's the worst thing you can do tomorrow morning. Start preaching the gospel to people who don't want to hear it. How about we live it instead? Let's, let's start there. And then you might get an opportunity to say something. And you'll have the basis for it. I think I have the respect of the men in our shop for that very reason. I live what I believe. That kind of stuff, they start in a little group talking about stuff, and I'm standing there, and I know the discussion's going in the wrong direction. I don't make a big deal out of it. Just step away. Just quietly step away. They all notice. And, of course, I did have an advantage because everybody knew a preacher was coming to work in the electric shop, boy. So far and wide, people, I've discovered later that people in other parts of the mine department and other parts of other departments in the mine were like, there's going to be a preacher. So I don't know what they expected, but I hope I have shattered all of their expectations <laughs> and just been a godly employee. I want to encourage you in this. It's rare today to have people actually do what they believe, and I'm sorry to say that. We're a rare commodity in the world today, but that exactly is the very thing that will be like salt and light in a very dark place called your workplace. If everybody was a Christian, we wouldn't have to have this discussion, but that's not the case. For us, rather, it is the day-to-day reality of serving God. That's how I want you to see this. Going to work is just the day-to-day reality of serving God. It's a place where you go to make a missionary difference. Tim's in Ethiopia. That's a great thing. You're in Ethiopia tomorrow, or you might as well be. It's, you know, it's a crazy dark place, right? We always speak of the continent of Africa as a dark continent, right? Not because of the color of the people, but because it's, you know, we have to say these things these days because, you know, everybody's all freaked out about stuff. We, it was called that because there was no light of the gospel. Your workplace is the same way. There's no light of the gospel. And so you're going to take it tomorrow. Let me pray for you guys this morning on this, on this venture. Lord, we bow before you today. And there is no hope of getting this right, God. There's no hope of getting it right without you in our lives tomorrow morning. We can even purpose to do better. But unless you give us, unless you grace us, Lord, would you just grace us today with a vision for work tomorrow? Lord, we can't even, we don't even want to do it. I'll just be honest. Lord, we don't even want to do it. It's the drudgery of the day-to-day. We don't even want to do it, Lord. But would you grace us, give us, give us a hunger to be that godly employee, to be that one that just tomorrow encourages someone else on their journey, that points out other people's accomplishments and rejoices with them in those accomplishments. Lord, we ask for the gifts of humility, care for others, diligence, and stewardship today. We ask for you to gift us 
with those abilities. And Lord, we're going to rely on you. Not our own ability, but we're going to rely on you by the power of your Holy Spirit to make us the kind of men and women, to work that poema on us, to make us, Lord, be what you have called us to be so that we might see others as valuable and to see them encouraged and, Lord, through these actions, ultimately to reflect you. That they would see that it doesn't come from us, but it's something passing through us, the power of the Holy Spirit as a witness to other men. God, we look to you to help us in this way. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.